Hello, this is Daryl Bloodworth of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Maitland, Florida. This is Lesson 18 in our study of the Gospel of John, and we're at Chapter 17. We begin with verses 1 through 5. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Jesus has completed his instructions to his disciples before he goes to the cross. Now he prays for them, for himself, and that the Father's will be done. This is the longest and most personal prayer of Jesus recorded in the New Testament. He is facing the most horrible pain, punishment, and humiliation that human human beings were capable of inflicting. Yet in this prayer, he focuses on glory. We need to understand what Jesus means when he speaks of glory, because it is different than what we think about when we hear the word glory. We tend to think of a great honor being bestowed, the high praise of fellow humans, perhaps even of pomp and circumstance. But the cross involved none of those things, at least not as Jesus was going through it. To Jesus, the glory in what he was about to go through was due to the fact he was being obedient to the Father. It was a completion of the work he had been given to do. Had he not gone to the cross with all that involved, there would have been no glory in his ministry, even with all the miracles he had performed, because he would not have completed the work he was given to do. But he did go to the cross in complete obedience to the Father, and therein was the glory. It brought glory to the Father. It brought glory to the Son. Jesus asks the Father to glorify him. How is he asking the Father to do this? By giving him the strength and courage to go through the cross, thereby enabling him to give eternal life to all who believe in him. And those are the ones the Father has given to him. Jesus then defines exactly what he means by eternal life. To know God and to know Jesus Christ, whom God sent. We tend to think of eternal life as referring to duration of life. And it includes that, but it also refers to a quality of life. One lived in relationship with God, and that quality of life begins not at physical death, but at the time we first believe, which happens in this life. Jesus also proclaims that he has glorified the Father. How has he done that? By completing the work which God gave him to do on earth. And he asks the Father to glorify him in the Father's own presence, just as the Father did before the world began. He knows the Father will glorify him because he has been obedient to the Father. He spoke only what the Father told him and did only what the Father told him to do. So we see that when Jesus uses the word glory, it is connected with obedience and sacrifice, doing one's duty. We continue on now with verses 6 through 8. 
I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Here Jesus explains the work he has done with the disciples. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me. In saying I have made your name known, Jesus is not referring to just what Jesus, which, excuse me, which God is called. He is referring to what God is like. We don't put our trust in someone just because we know their name. We put our trust in someone once we know their character and their nature. Are they trustworthy? Jesus spent a large part of his ministry teaching and showing what God is like. That's what most of the parables were about. Part of Jesus' teaching about the Father was to correct the Jewish understanding of their relationship with God. To the Jews, the name of God was so sacred, they did not speak his name or even spell it completely. It was, in all capital letters, I-H-W-H, which is pronounced Yahweh. And even the word Yahweh, uh, only the high priest would pronounce in the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. To them, God was the remote, invisible king whose name ordinary people were not even to speak. But Jesus spoke of God as the Father. Indeed, the Jewish word used was closer to our word, Daddy. God is not remote, but close the Father who loves us intimately and who desires that we fellowship with Him. The words in these verses must have been reassuring to the disciples because Jesus says says to the Father regarding the disciples, You gave them to me. And they accepted as from the Father the words Jesus spoke. They know in truth Jesus came from the Father and that the Father sent Him. This is a concept Jesus had been conveying to the disciples throughout his ministry, and he now knows they finally get it. Getting the disciples to this point was part of the work God gave Jesus to do. We'll continue on now with verses 9 through 19. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. Well, in these verses, Jesus makes clear that he is praying on behalf of his disciples in this prayer, not on behalf of the world in general, although he came to save all who would believe in him. He is doing so because his disciples are the fathers whom he gave to Jesus. Then Jesus says the most remarkable thing. I have been glorified in them. What could he possibly mean by that? Remember, glory comes from being obedient and completing the work one is given to do. The disciples have not yet completed the work Jesus has given them to do. But he knows they have tried their best to understand him, and he knows how they will do his will in the future. The teacher receives honor and glory when the pupil fulfills his promise. That's something we should always remember. Jesus is glorified when we live the life Jesus commands us to live, when we are obedient to him, and when we reflect the love and grace of the Father. We all want to hear Jesus say someday, Well done, good and faithful servant. When we are good and faithful servants, we should know that it brings glory to Jesus and to the Father. If that isn't motivation for us to be faithful, I don't know what is. Remember, Jesus is praying this prayer out loud for the disciples to hear, just as he did before he raised Lazarus from the dead. He goes on to say he will no longer be in the world, but the disciples will be, and he asks for their protection. He protected them while he was in the world, but now that he is leaving, he asks the Father to protect them. He asks God to protect them so they will be one, just as he is one with the Father. Note that it is by being one, in other words, in unity, that they will be protected. When we Christians find our unity in Jesus Christ, we are powerful and a strong witness to the world, which desperately needs our witness. It doesn't mean we have to be in agreement over forms of worship or every point of theology, but it does mean we must be in unity over Jesus Christ being the Son of God, crucified and risen, by whom we receive salvation if we believe in him. Jesus points out he is not asking that the disciples be taken out of the world, otherwise they could not complete the work he has given them to do. But he does ask that the Father protect them while they are in the world. They don't belong to the world, and the world will hate them just as it hated Jesus. They will be protected in the world by being sanctified in the truth, that truth being that they know who Jesus is and that he was sent by the Father. Jesus also says he is sanctifying himself, and it's by going to the cross he will sanctify himself, so that they also may be sanctified. We continue on now with verses 20 through 26. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. 
I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. These verses to me are some of the most inspiring and reassuring verses in the New Testament. Jesus turns from praying for his disciples to those who will come to believe as the result of their word. That includes you and me. On the night before the cross, Jesus prays to the Father for us, confident that his disciples, with all their faults and shortcomings, would spread the gospel across the world and across time. He also prays that we all may be one, just as the Father and the Son are one, and that all may be one in the Father and the Son. So what's the basis of this oneness? It is the oneness in the relationship. In a family, not all of the relationships are exactly the same. The relationship between husband and wife, between mother and daughter, between father and son, and between mother and son, and between father and daughter are all a little different. Yet, there is one family. There is a relationship with which all acknowledge within the family that holds them together, that creates the oneness. It is like that with the family of God. We are all brought into the family by the Holy Spirit to have a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that we can together participate in the very life of God. But it's not based upon creeds, forms of worship, or theology, although all of those are important. It's based upon the relationship. Keep in mind, it is more natural and human for people to fly apart than it is to come together. Coming together is the exception to the rule. So when we come together as Christians to create the oneness Jesus refers to, it makes our witness to the world more powerful. In verse 21, Jesus says that when the world sees the love in this relationship, it will know that it is the Father who sent Jesus. In verse 22, Jesus says that he has given us the same glory that the Father has given him. Just contemplate that for a few minutes. The same glory the Father gave the Son has been given to us. But remember, glory comes from being obedient and completing the work one is given to do. Jesus says he has given us his glory so that we may be one. If we are obedient to Jesus and abide in him, we will have the oneness that Jesus desires for us. Furthermore, when the world sees this oneness, it will believe that Jesus was sent by the Father and that the Father loves us just as he loved Jesus. In verse 24, Jesus asks that his disciples, all his disciples, will see his glory. This includes seeing Jesus willingly submit to the Father's will to suffer, to go to the cross, and to die for our sins and for our salvation, 
out of His and the Father's great love for us. That is the glory He wants us to see. In verse 25, Jesus repeats His oft-spoken words that the world, referring to the fallen world that ignores God, does not know the Father, but Jesus knows Him. He has made the Father's name known and will again as He goes to the cross, demonstrating the love of the Father and the Son for us. This prayer brings to an end Jesus' last instructions to His disciples as they head to Gethsemane, where Jesus will be confronted by the temple police and arrested.